so, Philippa, we, we, had, we all had a lot of fun with Rosie, didn't we? Or Folippa, as I've taken to call her. But what is it that makes you think you're qualified for the position of co-host? I'm sorry, but you're going to have to reapply for the position. <laughs> uh, this is your interview. So I have in front of me here the CV that you submitted. It's very good. And I see here that under the section where it says describe yourself in one word, you wrote hired. Uh, do you want to expand on that at all, or does that speak for itself? I, I, I mean, Jess, I would describe myself as a uh, a people person, and mm-hmm. um, and I work well under pressure. That everybody uh-huh. wants that, ex- yep, except yep, you know when yep. I freak out and need a month to myself. Right. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My weaknesses, I I don't think I have any. Maybe it's that I. Oh, work too hard. That's a good work one. I use that every hard. time. I see, mm-hmm. I see, I see, I see. Yes, mm-hmm. I'm very happy to sell my soul to a capitalist hell arena. Now, when you say this, are you saying that you have a soul? You currently have a soul? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. I would definitely say that I am ensouled. Right. Okay. That's all very good. I see here on your CV as well that you say you always give 110%. Now, earlier today, I saw that you were pouring your tea and then you kept pouring it and kept pouring it until (laughs) the cup overflowed. So that makes a lot of sense. That's a very good initiative, 110% on everything you do. I like it. And um, if you were a podcast, what would you be? Definitely true crime. I mean, history. History. Mm. I love history. Okay. Maybe, maybe that's a lie. I'd be my bim bam. Yeah, we'd be my bim bam, wouldn't we? We'd love that. <laughs> yeah. Just kick out. Now, this is the big killer interview question. Which brother would you replace? Ooh, I don't know. I love them all equally. Oh. I have a confession, Jess. Oh, no. You don't tell me you don't like someone. I've never listened to my bim bam. <gasps> I was just lying. <laughs> Get out! Take another month off! You are not hired! <laughs> We're going with Folipur. I mean, people no. just keep saying mabum-bam, and I just, I, I don't want them to explain it to me, so I just nod. <laughs> oh no, Philippa. I'm sorry. I, I, well. I'll just see myself out, shall I? Mm. I appreciate that you do want to rehire Folipa, but according to the universal law of kill your doppelganger, yeah. she might be unavailable. You may oh, be stuck shit. How are you going to do it? Oh, kill her. Or, I mean, this is a not kill her. Wink. You can't see me, but wink, wink. <laughs> I'm definitely not saying that I would... ocean that would wait, be wait, silly. Wait, wait, I've got an idea. Okay, so basically, oh, by the way, this is, this <laughs> is, a, I've got a really good idea. I, I already killed her, so fucking, no, uh, we should introduce ourselves. <laughs> yes, you are not Philippa, you are Philippa, Philippa, you are Philippa Evans. I am Jessica Byrne, that's definitely who I am. I'm not a doppelganger as well. This is the podcast, Everything is Awful Forever. It's been a while, it's been a hot minute, guys. Sorry, but you know, the end times is shit and the world is dying and everything's <laughs> shit, so there you go. But I've got a good story about mushrooms. I thought you were going to tell your mushroom story in our Some Things Are Good Sometimes, but thinking about it, I now appreciate <laughs> that that is not the case. So I'm, <laughs> I've been harvesting um mushrooms not for eating but for like crafting because um we're gonna i'm making 
just like resin jewelry and things and putting creepy mushrooms in them is my jam it's cottagecore hashtag goth all that good shit but i don't really know what they are I, I do have a mushroom book but i foolishly decided to collect all the mushrooms that i could and take them back and then identify what they were which is very stupid <laughs> because some of them are so you fool some of them are so toxic that you can get bad just by touching them <laughs> And so I brought some back and I felt a little lightheaded and strange. I was like, oh, okay, this is this is weird, but I'll sit down with my mushroom book to have a look. And as I was turning the pages, each one was like, liver failure, kidney failure, death, death, death. Oh my God, everything is going to die, you're going to die. And so I was like, oh my God, I feel really weird right now. Am I, is my liver falling out? What the fuck? It's already really bad. I've already pickled it. So it's shit. I don't have enough liver strength. It's fair. And I was... I really actually fully, fully convinced that I might die. And Alex was like, Jesse being a fucking moron, you didn't eat any of them. And I was like, I know, but uh, because like while I was picking one as well, I disturbed something and a bunch of spores like clouded out. So I was like, oh my fucking God, I am going to turn into a hungry. Uh, it just it in, just in my face. face. I got mushroom spooge all over myself. And then I was like, this is where I'm going to turn into a hungry. <laughs> this is the beginning of The Last of Us and the girl with all the gifts. I panicked so much I could barely sleep because I was convinced I was going to die. And Alex was just rolling his eyes like, this is fucking ridiculous. But I didn't die. <laughs> well, I mean, if he is standing around saying that this is ridiculous and you're not going to die and not taking your mushroom jizz mm. experience seriously, then honestly, you need to bite him first. Definitely. Then see also, how he feels. This is this is good because I came across, I was picking some mushrooms and then I found like, oh, look at this little guy. It looks like a little nipple. Hang on a minute. It, I, then I know <laughs> the only one that I know <laughs> looks like is a magic mushroom. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. Illegal activity, and so it just kind of ran away. And when when I told everyone, they were like, "Yeah, Jess, wink." And I was like, "No, no, I'm a fucking baby. I didn't pick those little nipply guys. I left them be." And they were like, "Yeah, sure, wink, wink." No, 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 really, I left them alone because I was scared. <laughs> so that's what I've been doing this month. Honestly, I didn't pick them because it, they could have also like keep this in. Like, I honestly didn't pick those mushrooms because it could also be a mushroom known as a death cap and so it's like magic mushroom or death cap so i left them mellow high <laughs> or death honestly 2020 Ooh. that's a mood you know it's like either or i'll take either <laughs> give me give me either one of those things i guess since we're here i i know that i haven't been officially rehired yet but i appreciate that we're already past 70 episodes in our podcast. But this, this is episode 69. Oh, that's the sex number. <laughs> 69 comes before 70, you say? What? what is this, a podcast about math? Like, oh, it's history and fun stuff, like sex. <laughs> Do we look like people who understand how numbers work? We're women. I mean, if I understood how numbers worked, I wouldn't have studied ancient Greek. Right. So, so basically, a million years ago, before I went on my break, and we ended up doing more episodes that took us past the number 69, Jess wanted us to do a sex episode. <laughs> Why are you saying that so accusatorily? Like you didn't want to. For shame, Jess. <laughs> the first rule of Victorian sex club is don't even think about Victorian sex. <laughs> That's a lie. The Victorians yeah. thought about sex a whole lot. They thought about it too much, I'd say. And I ask you, what's more sexy than syphilis? Oh, 
Nothing. Sexy people had it. Mm, like King Henry VIII. Did he? Supposedly. I mean, probably. They he probably had it. They think that a lot of his enormous card pieces were because his uh, his bilson was wrapped uh, wrapped with like you know the syphilis soothing cloth that they used to wrap around people's d- donglongers, and so that's why they think his uh, his thrustingly powerful cod pieces were always so prominent because his his schlanglanger was always wrapped up in syphilis um i can't oh, yeah I- <laughs> that's a that's one of those like theories i think it's it might have been disproven or something or i don't know but i do like it and i want to fold in henry the eighth to most of our episodes i mean we can't talk about mads mickelson he's a beautiful beautiful perfect child that doesn't have syphilis so he told me that's what they all say in addition to henry the eighth we can also say that charles baudelaire famous for his poetry collection the flowers of evil or Le fleur du mal, if you want to be pretentious in French, which he certainly was. He had it. Leo Tolstoy, which was a surprise. Oh. Ludwig van Beethoven. <gasps> Beethoven! It's weird. Sometimes you like to think of these people as being kind of like sexless, just um, like husks for their art. And then when you find out that they're humans underneath and do things, it's like, oh no, I don't want to know that you've got a, you've got a wangle. I don't want to know that you've got a wangwanger. <laughs> Speaking of sexless husks, Friedrich Nietzsche. No, I mean, I mean, if if I thought anyone would be like, yeah, he's got fucking Nietzsche. <laughs> Although I think that that was propaganda um, spread by people who didn't like Nietzsche, but it's okay. Um, sexy men with beards. Let's just say they mm-hmm. had it. Daddies, basically. Yeah. Okay. Also, Edgar Allan Poe, who didn't have a beard, but that <gasps> stash was. He was rocking it. That was the that was the fashion of the time. That was he's got like big dick energy with his stash. <laughs> with small mustache. Uh, with his very small mustache. <laughs> so lots of people, sexy and unsexy, had syphilis in the eighteen hundreds. It's estimated that between fifteen and twenty percent of nineteenth century Europe was infected with the disease. Holy shit. So that's like one in five. That's one of Jane Austen's Bennett sisters. <laughs> Slot shamers would put their money on Lydia, but you never know. Mm. I'm betting on Jane. Yeah. She's a secret little dark horse, isn't she? It's going to be Jane. You know, with a surname like Bingley. Bingley? (laughs) That's basically like a euphemism (laughs) for a dick anyway. I married Bingley, now my genitals are tingly. (laughs) Oh, I'm so glad you're back. I am so very glad that you're fucking back. So a couple of the reasons that syphilis was so widespread was because it had a wide range of symptoms that made it difficult to diagnose. And it also took a very long time to develop, which made it really difficult to detect in its early stages. Mm. So lots of time to spread that good stuff around. But before we get onto that, what is syphilis? And before we go onto that, a quick note that I'm not a doctor. It's not like I'm making all this shit up, but it's not like I have a degree or any training in this, aside from my own morbid fascination. What, you mean like this is the disclaimer for people who are like, oh, my bingley is really tingly, but then uh, <laughs> Philippa said this. We're not medical professionals, so don't take this seriously. <laughs> they heard all our mushroom chat in the beginning. <laughs> So, syphilis is a bacterial infection which is usually, but not always, spread by sexual contact. It can, for example, be spread from mother to unborn child, resulting in congenital syphilis, but we're not interested in that because we're talking about sexy syphilis, episode 69. 69. 
If you like fancy Latin names, which nothing gets me hornier, the bacterium in question is called Trypanema pallidum. I studied Latin and I struggled to say that. Mm. Say it again. Subspecies pallidum. Ah. <sighs> It's a fancy corkscrew-shaped bacterium, and it presents in four sexy stages. The primary stage is usually characterized by a single skin lesion a couple of centimeters in diameter, known as a shanker. Oh, yeah, shank me, baby. Uh. (laughs) Yes, it's It's so hard for syphilis right now. Yeah. It's usually painless and non-itchy, which is great sex talk for me. I'm painless and non-itchy. This is going to happen throughout. (laughs) It's most likely to occur on the penis, cervix, rectum, or anus, depending on your biological sex and preferred sexual activity. Me too. (laughs) I'm most likely to occur on the penis, cervix, rectum, or anus. Penis 69. Untreated, the lesion can last for three to six weeks. (laughs) Fuck. Yes. Me too, yeah. (laughs) Okay, sorry. Oh, I can see that I chose well yes, when I picked this. That's right. The secondary stage often presents as a rash that covers the palm of the hands and the soles of the feet, oh. in addition to sores in the mouth and or vagina. Uh, I don't know why, but the palm rash is upsetting. Pictures are very unnerving. I don't want to, by which I mean, yes, I do want to look at all the pictures. But I think, you know, your palm is a sacred, safe space. Leave that alone. I have a book. It's called The The Sick Rose, or Disease and the Art of Medical Illustration. And I can only read it a few pages at a time because it's so (laughs) disgusting. I love it. Oh, that sounds really good. (laughs) If you want a nice table book that will drive your guests away, I recommend it. Oh, wonderful. Okay, good. So the rash is also non-itchy most of the time, but it is also infectious. Like the Shanke in primary syphilis. Mm. It can also become maculopapular, so bumpy, or pustular, bumpy and filled with exciting liquid. Maculopapular is a very sexy word. This is going to be an episode of Sexy Words. That's the name I have for my breasts. Maculopapular. 69. You could just play this episode in a Catholic convent school, and that would be all the sex ed you need. Yes. Other symptoms can include a sore throat, headache, hair loss, fever, weight loss, feelings of discomfort, and a whole host of less common symptoms that I'll skip over for the sake of brevity. Oh no, I have all those things though. (laughs) I'm going to die. The mushrooms. It's coming true. Gave me the sip. <laughs> Latent syphilis is often devoid of symptoms, although it's still infectious. And that's the worst oh, thing because shit. you don't have anything going wrong and you're like, it's fine, but you're still spreading it. I don't need to wear a mask. Fuck that. Well, tertiary syphilis, the final stage, involves fun things like gummers. Also a sexy word. They're the soft, non-cancerous growths that you see on the faces of many syphilis sufferers. And neurological problems and heart problems. And the great thing is that tertiary syphilis can occur 3 to 15 years after the original infection. Wow. But what's very interesting is that tertiary syphilis is not infectious. So when you look your most terrifying and you've got neurological problems and heart failure... You're actually safe to be around. Like Al Capone. What a comfort. Poor guy was bullied in prison because of the syphilitic neurological problems he had. He was basically like four-year-old and so mighty, mighty Al Capone was bullied in jail. Like, 
Because and he couldn't even spread it. He couldn't even spread syphilis to them. Yeah. There's no vaccine for syphilis, but in the post-penicillin age, it is curable. But it's important to get it cured quickly because any damage done by the disease in its later stages is irreversible. Mm. So penicillin can stop it, but it's not going to undo those gummers and neurological issues wow, and yeah. mm, all the tasty, tasty things. <laughs> but for me, the very interesting aspect of any disease is how it's constructed by society. Mm, like, yeah. we've looked at this before with tuberculosis being viewed by Victorians as an effeminate disease that preyed on artists and refined ladies and people too beautiful for this world or too passionate, whereas typhus is the disease of the disgusting calloused poor. Syphilis, on the other hand, was always someone else's fault. Usually <laughs> someone that we don't like. Of course. To the English, Italians and Germans from the 1500s on, it was called the French disease because, you know, the French... Oh, yeah. I mean, you don't need to explain. Yes. The French called it the, the Neapolitan disease... To Russians, it was the Polish disease, and to the Poles, it was the German disease. Mm -hmm. The Turks called it the Christian disease, <laughs> and in other European cultures, including Germany during the Nazi regime, it was called the Jewish disease. Oh, fucking course. I wonder what we'd call it right now if we had it. In Scotland? Yeah. I mean, we, this, in Scotland, they'd call it the English disease, but maybe Britain? What would we call it? Do you think they'd still hate the French? I think we turned our hatred more towards uh, Polish people because they actually come and work and and we're like, I don't want to work, but I don't want them to. Fuck that. So, you know. <laughs> Britain is very racist. Oh, we're so racist. It's awful. It didn't just have to be other cultures or countries that we don't like. Later on, syphilis was involved in racist thought and action in a number of ways. So like I've just mentioned the Nazi association of syphilis with Jewish identity. Mm. But let's not forget the time between 1946 and 1948, when American doctors infected up to 700 Guatemalans on purpose with venereal diseases, including syphilis, to test the effectiveness of penicillin. Oh my god! Yay! What the fuck? Can I can I say as well? I learned I learned this the other day that we think that it actually came from America because we like we when we thought it originally came from, apparently it was a syphilis adjacent kind of thing, but wasn't like the full syphilis as we know it today. And it was only after Columbus had fucked around and got about in America and then came back, brought syphilis to Europe. So we can actually call it the American disease. Thank you very much. <laughs> Except you know, you know that the alt-right would call it the Native American disease. <laughs> I mean, let's forget the fact that, you know, we brought smallpox over. Oh yeah, but... we brought like every other disease, like smallpox and the plague and, you know, typhoid and like everything to them. But they gave us syphilis, so kill them all. <laughs> Thanksgiving. 69. So, so with the Guatemalans, against the background of the Second World War, and this is really strange, like it's unusual, but... The number of men in the U.S. military who contracted STDs was becoming a real problem. Mm. Like, what? And so they needed to do further research to see what could be done to effect a better cure. As a result, Guatemalan soldiers, sex workers, prisoners, and mental hospital patients were infected without their consent. Oh my god. 
And when prisoners failed to contract syphilis from the infected sex workers that they brought in, they were forcibly given syphilis through spinal injections. Oh, fuck. To give you some idea of the horror of this experiment, I took this description from the relevant Wikipedia <laughs> yay. page. Yay, yay, yay. Yay! Yay, awful, awful forever, awful forever podcast. Bertha was a female patient in the psychiatric hospital. In February 1948, Bertha was injected in her left arm with syphilis. A month later, she developed scabies, which is an itchy skin infection caused by a mite. Several weeks later, Dr. Cutler noted that she had also developed red bumps where he had injected her arm, lesions on her arms and legs, and her skin was beginning to waste away from her body. Berta was not treated for syphilis until three months after her injection. Soon after, on August 23rd, Dr. Cutler wrote that Berta appeared as if she was going to die, but he didn't specify why. <gasps> the same day, he put gonorrheal pus from another male subject into both of Berta's eyes, oh, as well as in her urethra and rectum. He also reinfected her with syphilis. Several days later, Berta's eyes were filled with pus from the gonorrhea, and she was bleeding from her urethra. Oh. Three days later, on August 27th, Berta died. Why is she injecting pus into her eyes? It's like, I injected pus into her eyes. Next day, oh, there's loads of pus in her eyes. Yeah, maybe, why? I'm very upset, Philippa, come get me. It's just so awful the way that it's clinically described everything that happened to this person, yeah. and that people were able to do this. Yeah. So in total, 83 of the subjects infected died. Oh my God. And what's great is that none of this, nobody knew about this until the details of this experiment were uncovered by Dr. Susan Markatoff Reverby when she was researching a different abuse of human rights dressed up as an experiment called the Tuskegee Study of Untreated Syphilis in the African-American Male. Mm. Good. Mm -hmm. Now, this was a clinical trial carried out between 1932 and 1972, and in this trial, 600 African-American men, 399 of whom had latent syphilis, were promised free healthcare in exchange for t participating in the study. Oh, shit. These men didn't know that they had syphilis. And they weren't told. Oh my god. Despite the, <laughs> despite the infectious nature of the disease or the seriousness of its symptoms, should it advance to its tertiary stage. So these men were told that they were being treated for bad blood because, of course, that's bad what they were told. Blood. By 1947, so this um, experiment had started in 1932, and by 1947 there was actually a cure for syphilis in the form of penicillin, mm. But these men were never treated for oh. it. Remember, 600 African-American men, 399 of whom had latent syphilis. They could have been cured, but... Nah, but we just fucking nah. didn't, yes. Because we want to see what will happen if we just <laughs> leave it. It's not only that they were never treated, but they were also prevented from getting treatment from oh, other sources sake. by the doctors oh, in the trial. God. During this time, many of the men died from the disease or complications related to it. 40 of them passed the disease onto oh, their gosh. wives, and 19 children were born with congenital uh, syphilis. I mean, guys, come on! Stop it! The experiment only came to an end when details about it were leaked to the public, and... The experiment itself, I mean, it contributed very little to medical knowledge, but its aftermath includes the fact that trust between the medical establishments and African-American communities was damaged, and that black Americans became far less likely to seek medical help in the years that followed. Well, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's awful. And like I said, with, with this experiment, it was, it was known about, but the Guatemalan experiment only came to light, I think, in the 2000s. Like I said, when um, the researcher was looking for more information on this Tuskegee experiment. But since we're on the subject of degeneracy and the abuse of fundamental human rights, shall we pop over to the workhouse? Oh, it's been so long. Let's do. Let's see what's happened in our absence. <laughs> Oh my god. Ooh, it's a lot of the flies situation, oh, isn't shit. it? Did you set up anyone to come and feed them? Because I thought you oh, were gonna... I, I thought oh, that was for you. for fuck's sake. Oh. Okay, which one, which one of them have declared themselves king and which one have been eaten? Come on. Put down the conch shell, piggy, and the rest of you, stop stop dancing around that pig's head. It's just... It, no. Is that David's head on a spike? Well. Is that David's head on a spike? Oh, guys... List oh for fuck's sake. Alright, they're gonna have to clean that up. And we're going to have to learn a valuable lesson about time management and task delegation. We've all learned we something all, today. We've all learned. It's been educational. So while I've been off, I've had plenty of time to hear all the latest oh. rumors about the terrible things that are happening in the world. Oh, that's good. I've been starved for a rumor. Tell me, please. Have you heard of Janie Wright? Tell me. She was the notorious ghostly enemy of a certain spiritualist called Robert James Lees. Now, Robert, or Bobby to his friends, of which he had very few, I guess, he was famous for his trances and visions. When he was 13, in 1861, for example, he communicated messages to Queen Victoria from her dead husband, Ooh. Albert. It's even rumoured, although it's not been proven, that he lived in Buckingham Palace for a while so that Victoria could regularly talk to Albert, because you know women, they like to nag oh, at yeah, their husbands, yeah. and just because you're dead, that doesn't That's get you off no the hook. Excuse. But what is surprising is that very few people have reported the spectral voice of Janie Wright whispering, No, stop exploiting bereaved and other vulnerable people by claiming that you can reach the dead. This is morally reprehensible. I guess they just couldn't hear it. And later, in 1888, at the time of the Jack the Ripper murders, Lees went to the City of London Police, as well as Scotland Yard, offering his psychic assistance in catching the Ripper. <gasps> Fortunately, someone did apparently hear the ghostly voice of Janie Wright saying, Don't do it. Psychics are fucking frauds who can derail investigations and manipulate people's hopes and fears. <laughs> Send him away! Which the authorities promptly did. Now, I bet you're wondering how I know all of this. Well, I'm not saying that I'm a psychic yeah. medium, but I've been known to have friends on the other friends side. Friends on the other side. <laughs> so thank you, Janie, for your support in every possible way. If you want to find out how Janie and all of our other Patreon supporters all met their grisly ends, you can take a look on our website, awfulforever.com, and pay a little visit to our mausoleum. Or if you want us to spread nasty rumors about you, you can support us on... What's the oh link, Jess? It's God, been so it's long. It's been a month, hasn't it? <laughs> it's patreon.com forward slash awfulforeverpodcast. So patreon.com awfulforeverpodcast. Give us money and we will spread nasty shit about you and tell everyone how you died. And if you do die that way, then I guess we're psychic. <laughs> Splendid. So it looks like the orphans have removed the stakes and the heads. Yeah, we have reasserted our dominance. The sort of dominance display you did was quite frightening 
and arousing. So it's worked in all ways. Yeah, it was really good. Order has been arousing to you, not, oh, not, not the, the orphans. They're children. They're children. Just, no, they're children. to me, of course. Like, I liked that you were using the bits where you had the feathers and you were doing that dance. That was really good. That was for my benefit. You thought I didn't notice, but I did. But for the orphans, it was all very dominating and powerful. So yeah, they're back in line now. I think we can go. I mean, they still need to scrape Piggy off the rocks from where he fell, but you know, they can yeah. do that now. We, we that's, can go. That's their it's problem. Fine. Fuck it. Yeah, let's it's go. Fine. I didn't even do a segue into the next part of my, my episode. It's fine. I'm just going to jump in. <laughs> Raw. That's what he said. Uh, I don't know. 69. <laughs> That's what one of That's them. That's what someone said. said to their consensual sexual partner, <laughs> <laughs> who was excited. Who by was that excited news. for the news of Raw jumping with uh, Bingley? Jess and I have lots of sex. You I, can tell. I've done it. I am not yet. I I'm a sex haver. That's what I am. I have genitals and human skin. <laughs> I have human yes. skin and organs. <laughs> And they are engorged. <laughs> I'm so aroused. <laughs> gotta... So what really stands out about syphilis in the 19th century is how it functioned as a visible symbol of transgressive sexuality. So we know this already. Female sexuality is frequently punished. Young women get sent home from school because their skirts are more than 10 centimeters above their knees, which is super distracting for male teachers and male <laughs> yeah. students. Women who are sexually assaulted are told that they were inviting it because they were showing too much skin or walking suggestively mm -hmm. or acting promiscuously yeah, or, or I don't I don't know, they had a lisp and yeah, that was sexy. They were thick <laughs> And women who engage in sex work experience levels of violence and stigmatization that I can't even imagine being subjected yeah, to. Yeah, again, like we've said before, we are a society that demands women be decoration in all ways and everything women do be really, really sexy to the point where there's sex literally everywhere except for the actual act itself. No, you can buy every other form of sex except for actual sex because we decided that's wrong and bad for reasons. So bringing this back to syphilis in the 19th century, in the 1860s, it was again discovered that a large percentage of men in the British armed forces had contracted a sexually transmitted disease, mm. usually gonorrhea or syphilis. Dr. Fern Riddle in the Victorian Guide to Sex mentions the Lancet's report that of those stationed in Portsmouth, 50% had some kind of venereal oh, disease, fuck. most likely syphilis wow. or gonorrhea. One in wow. two. So, Jess, we need to blame someone. Syphilis isn't a blame-free disease. Forget that. We can't blame the men, obviously. No, no, of course not. Men need access to sex workers in order to keep respectable women, including their own wives, safe from their natural manly lust. Which is a terrifying sentence if you look at it for too long. So let's just move on from that. And so because men can't control themselves, they need to control women instead. Which is why the Contagious Diseases Acts were brought into law in 1864, 1866. Us. Police, they're coming for me. I was talking about how we're controlling women and now it's all over. Oh my god, goodbye! I live on a rough street. <laughs> so, <laughs> brought into law in 1864, 1866, and 1869, in which year everybody laughed at the whole 69 thing, just like us. <laughs> Contagious Sexual Diseases Act, 1869. <laughs> 
So what did this act mean? Basically, that if a policeman thought that a suspected sex worker might be infected with a venereal disease, she could be taken by force and examined for symptoms of disease. Of course, most of the victims of this law were sex workers, but the woman in question didn't need to be a sex worker, nor was it necessary that she showed any sign of being infected. All that you need was the policeman's pol- uh, policeman's belief that she was infected. Oh, which is fine. good. That's fine. We have since learned in the hundred or so years that have passed that policemen are impartial enforcers of the law who don't bring their own violent prejudices to their jobs or use their powers to terrorize minorities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. And Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's all good. They're all doing a A bang up job. Yes. Yes. So once a policeman had identified a potentially infected woman, she would need to appear before a magistrate, who was also a man, who would decide whether she needed to be inspected. If so, she'd need to be examined by a doctor, also a man, and if the doctor saw any symptoms of venereal disease or thought that she might later show such symptoms, the woman what? would be sent. <laughs> yeah, but well, you look like the type that might get syphilis so you know some women have bedroom eyes some women have syphilis eyes (laughs) some women have gonorrhea eyes they're full of pus a doctor knows these things doctor can sense these future diseases so if that was the case the woman would be sent to a lock hospital where she'd be imprisoned to contain her contagion okay okay All right. A lock hospital, by the way, is just a hospital where these diseases were treated and the people who had them were kept. Initially, a woman could be imprisoned for up to three months. It was later increased to an entire year. Oh, fuck. And this was deemed the most effective way to protect men from venereal disease. Of course, we need to protect the men from the women. Keeping in mind that, as I said, syphilis was a very difficult disease to diagnose and doctors struggled to to see it and it's not like policemen were sniffer dogs for venereal disease i watched a cute video this morning on how dogs <laughs> can sniff out cancer yeah but police are emphatically not like that in terms no. of stds so initially these laws only applied to ports and army towns but they were later applied to the populace at large in 1869 mm. and it was around this time that you started to hear stories of women who just disappeared off the streets. Also, people who were in common law marriages were more vulnerable to having the women in those marriages taken because, again, is it a common law marriage or is she a sex worker? It's just so hard to tell unless the marriage has been sanctified by God. (laughs) And suddenly, the British populace began to think that maybe these laws were a little more problematic than initially believed. As one sex worker succinctly put it, it is men, only men, from the first to the last that we have to do with. To please a man, I did wrong at first. Then I was flung about from man to man. Men police lay hands on us. By men we are examined, handled, doctored. In the hospital, it is a man again who makes prayer and reads the Bible for us. We are had up before magistrates who are men, and we never get out of the hands of men till we die. The acts were opposed by public figures such as Florence Nightingale, Harriet Martineau, and Josephine Butler, but it took more than 20 years for these laws to be repealed. And I think it's interesting that both the Guatemalan syphilis experiments and the Contagious Diseases Acts were all designed for the protection of men in the military and how marginalized groups were exploited for their benefits. Disease is fun. 
Does he kiss us? <laughs> yes, a fun episode. 69. Fun, sexy episode. Yay. So in Victorian England, syphilis became more and more of a concern as the 1900s approached. Not so much because more people were becoming infected. In fact, the opposite was true. Fewer people were getting it, and also less serious strains were being spread about. But as doctors learned more and more about the disease and how much of the body it affected, more cases could be diagnosed as syphilis that wouldn't have been previously. Syphilis, especially in the working and lower classes, was suddenly this major concern to everybody because these were the people who'd be fighting our wars. Poor people. Yeah, we need them now. We need them to fight and die in the Boer War because this was around the time of the Second Boer War, which started in late 1899 and ended in May 1902. So the discourse at the time was very much centered on Britain producing more than stunted degenerates that wouldn't be able to serve in the army when the time came. I think we've mentioned this before because it was the case that you had these brawny Afrikaners raised on full cream milk, which is the right milk, by the way, British people, drinking your fucking skim milk to... Uh, no, I'm there with you. Full fat oh, milk. That's how oh, milk is you. meant to be drank. I have full fat milk because it's delicious. Fuck off. The other stuff is just white water and you're all wrong. Thank you, Jess. I knew there was a reason we were friends. That's for milk reasons. Everybody was telling me about this mysterious blue milk that was so delicious and creamy and yeah. and great. And I was like, what the fuck kind of luxury milk is there that I haven't been drinking? Like, I want this blue milk. And then it turned out it was the milk I've been drinking all along. It's the milk with the blue cap, which is the full cream yep. milk, which is the milk you're supposed to fucking drink. That's the right. That's the correct milk. No, you're right. You're right. It's, I'm with you. Thank it's you. Thank milk. you. Okay, I'm moving on from my trauma. <laughs> so you had these very fit Afrikaners that everybody had to fight. And then these shriveled little golem British people being turned away from being signed up to the army because they were just so <laughs> precious. And um, yeah. As Dr. James Kerr, medical officer to the London School Board, stated, and I'm going to try to say this in a Ponzi, Ponzi accent, mm -hmm. lower class school children were from parents who ought never to have had children. We mm. frequently see feeble-minded mothers coming to school uh. about their defective children, <laughs> or mothers who tell of feeble-minded husbands loafing at home, where a perfectly definite cause can be assigned, which is infrequent, syphilis is the most evident. Mm. So they were noticing these poxy, stunted little British people and saying, well, it's because of eugenics, because of these feeble-minded people breeding. But when it's not eugenics, it's syphilis, and one of these we can fix, maybe. <laughs> it's a drinking game every time they say feeble, take a drink. <laughs> so Britain's first organised eugenics movement... The Eugenics oh. Education Society oh. was founded in 1907. Mm. And for them, syphilis played a part in their concerns because you had these syphilitic individuals, because it's now a personality trait, I guess, initiating yes. a kind of backwards evolution in which the British return to savages and, uh. <laughs> and we're going to lose all the wars and the glorious empire. No! Oh no, Gloriana! <laughs> But this concern about maternal health and the production of stunted individuals was picked up by different groups who suddenly were like, yeah, you're right. Um, mothers also have a responsibility not to produce monsters. <laughs> 
As Leslie Hall says in Outspoken Women, women bore the burdens of being the mothers of a mighty race, flowing out into all lands to civilize and Christianize and bear the white man's burden. I'm sorry, I, I think I just um, pupated into someone who is filled with more rage and that's what that was oh it was an orgasm for my never mind never mind oh okay <laughs> okay we do different different sides of the co- same coin you know so people were like yeah women are producing these things they need to ensure that they produce better children yeah women need to protect their own health and be aware of the dangers posed by diseases such as syphilis which means educating them which oh dear oh no oh Checkmate, patriarchy. So this wasn't the first time that feminist groups had campaigned for educating women on their sexual health. When women campaigned against the Contagious Diseases Act, which I mentioned earlier, they'd argued that it would be far more effective to teach women about the dangers of syphilis and how to protect themselves than to lock them away for a while. It's like the abstinence-only sexual... Uh, thick, you know what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Puritering. Sex, sex ed, yeah, like abstinence only, which apparently just results in higher rates of pregnancy because it's fucking stupid, and higher rates of STDs as well, because if you're not going to tell people about the actual dangers of having unprotected sex, then yeah, that's just what's going to happen. If you're just going to say, don't, I said, put your pants on, William. <laughs> I was... <laughs> kind of pressured by my church into signing a purity pledge. <sighs> Philip, at your... <laughs> my childhood. <laughs> your life in wherever it is, <laughs> Mombasa, is just so good. I still have the purity ring that I had to wear. You have a purity ring? Oh my god. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing I ever hoped for, your Catholic school, and which I hope is like a sexy, sexy, sexy uniform as well, with a purity ring. <laughs> I sometimes take it out every now and then, kind of take a look at it and go, yep. (laughs) Go, what happened? What happened to you? Did my life go so wrong before or after the (laughs) And then you, you dirty sex haver. (laughs) Filthy, filthy, filthy. 69. Now that's educating women was tied to the health of the British Empire. It was taken a little more seriously. Who knows, maybe if I'd been told that we'd have to win the Third Boer War with, you know, the produce of my womb, maybe I would have kept that ring. Who knows? Who knows? Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So prior to this, women were kept ignorant of sexual diseases and, let's face it, sex in general. When doctors diagnosed upper-class Victorian women with syphilis, they wouldn't always tell them the truth. They'd tell their Mm -hmm. husbands... But not them. Because to them, it made sense just to keep it away from their fragile female minds. There was no cure, and it would just make them angry with their husbands for giving it to them. And being angry is bad for women's health anyway, so... Yeah. Husbands would also try to keep their wives ignorant and often discourage them from seeking medical advice. Oh, because oh. they knew. They knew what was wrong with their wives because they knew that they had syphilis and that they'd given it to Mildred. And all of this didn't just affect individual woman's health, it also affected affected the health of her children. Infected women would experience a much higher number of miscarriages, and her children would be far more likely to die within a couple of months or years, which is mm. fucking traumatic and infuriating. Women were far too often deliberately kept ignorant about their sexual health because femininity is supposed to be virginal 
sexless innocence. Childlike until you want to fuck her, basically. And it far too often left women defenseless against their husbands. A female surgeon called Louisa Martindale writes about a woman aged 25 who started to experience pain while urinating just two days after her marriage. And upon inspection, her fallopian tubes were inflamed and full of pus. Oh, no. Her husband admitted to the surgeon that before marriage, he'd contracted gonorrhea and syphilis prior to, to getting married. Of course, of course. Definitely prior. But he believed himself to be cured. So never trust your sexual partners. <laughs> <laughs> so at least some groups were saying, no, 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 no. Men are the cause of medical problems in marriage. It's not women who are by nature lustful and unable to control their urges. And the slogan votes for women and chastity for men became popular in the early 1900s. And I'm not saying that that depiction of men isn't problematic in itself, Mm. but it was important that feminists were being taken seriously when they stated that ignorance made women vulnerable. Yep. And that's what I have on syphilis for this episode. It's my first time in a while, so, you know, I don't know how to end these things. I was actually trying to write a completely different episode when I started researching this. Mm. I'd I'd wanted to do the episode on syphilis, but what had been first and foremost in my mind was how Victorians hid the fact that they had syphilis. Oh, yeah, that's that's also a good episode, I think, in the works, probably. I'd been thinking about it in terms of cosmetics, which we did an episode on in the past. And I know that at least this, this I haven't researched heavily, but prior to the Victorian period, people used to put little leather patches on their faces to hide smallpox scars. Mm. And let's not forget with the tuberculosis episode, women used to use cosmetics to make themselves look as if they had tuberculosis because it was such a a great disease to have, apparently. (laughs) It was very sexy, being diseased, very sexy. 69, 69, 69. So I was really wondering, in the case of syphilis, how did people hide the fact that they had it if it's so disfiguring? Because, you know, how do you go out into civilized society with your gummers on your face Mm -hmm. and stuff like that? But I actually, I couldn't find anything on it. So... Mm. If any of our listeners actually have great books on syphilis to suggest, we won't judge you for your reading choices. In fact, we will celebrate you. We will indeed. So please, if you have books on cosmetics and syphilis, let me know. Okay, cool. So yes, um, instead I gave an account of the horrifying aspects of syphilis. And I l- loved it. Well done. Really good. And again, as we find out, history is just... We, we, we still hate women in today's society, but, you know, we just really hate women. <laughs> But at least there's progress because, you know, I had to sign a contract to not have sex before marriage. That's so fucking funny. I can't believe you had to do that. I I always suspected that that kind of thing existed, like in like, I don't know, Southern American states or something. But it's always something that I kind of hoped wasn't real and just hoped that it was only for like, you know, dramatic TV purposes. Mm -hmm. But it kind of warms my heart that it does exist. (laughs) And that you know someone. Yeah, Yeah, You've got a purity ring. You need to show me that the next time we meet in 2022. (laughs) Don't put it on. I'm sure it gives you syphilis or something. I mean, (laughs) at least that's the reason. Never mind. And speaking of purity rings, some things are nice sometimes. Yes, my some things are nice sometimes is kind of an easy one. My bun, Gandalf, is sick. I don't know how long we've got him left. So that 
segues into something nice. We're just trying to give him, like, you know, a nice end send-off. He's doing well. Like, he's not suffering at the moment. And I've put the mattress on the floor so I can sleep on the floor next to him. Because he hops up onto the mattress and sleeps next to my head. And it's just been really lovely. Like, in some nights I've fallen asleep with my cheek against his body as he, like, lays down. <laughs> or, like, one night I fell asleep lightly cupping him. <laughs> I just like had my fingers in his fur and then it's it's just a really sweet feeling to feel him relax like you know how they loaf so they'll like lay Mm -hmm. on their wrists and they like lower their body down and it's just really cute to feel that happen and just feel him relax next to you and so sleeping next to my butt and then waking up and he's still there oh that's really cute lovely yeah been been enjoying sleeping I don't know how long like I've had a terrible grade of sleep because I'm sleeping on the goddamn floor and I'm terrified of spiders and so every little movement that happens I'm like is that a freaking spider and then I wake up and also there's no curtains so it's really bright so my quality of sleep has been really shitty but also my quality of of my soul has been enriched by (laughs) snuggling with my bun at night yeah (laughs) that's very sweet I wish I could sleep with bun bun but she she eats my hair while I sleep (laughs) so I either wake up with the bald spots or she's got you know my entire head of hair inside her. Gandalf only sometimes lightly grooms me. So sometimes Aww. I get woken up because I'm being l- licked slightly. It's like, oh, hi, buddy, I love you, but please, God, let me sleep. <laughs> Shame. That is cute and nice. Sleep yeah. with your buns. Yeah, sleep with your pets. It's cute. It's, you don't get a good quality of sleep, but you do get a good quality of sleep, you know? It's also, you know, a plague time. Are any of us getting a good quality of sleep? You might as well sleep Mm. with your pets. Exactly. Yeah, snuggle up next to that fluffy thing and love them. Yeah. Well, on that happy note, it's nice to be back to doing podcasts regularly and hope you guys are all staying safe and snuggling your pets and petting your snuggles and... 69.